Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. So today we want to meditate upon the crown of thorns, that is the suffering we have now in this life, versus the crown of life, which we will have in the life to come, the victory that Jesus promises us. It is most fitting on this day we celebrate the baptism of George Edward Mee. So this is great. We start Lent with the baptism. Because understand that George Edward has now been brought into the family of crown of life, of the people of God waiting for the promised crown of life to those who love him, to those who remain steadfast under trial. That you have this whole understanding of baptism that George Edward was marked with the sign of the cross upon his forehead and upon his heart. That now he has that sign of the cross. He's been crucified with Christ. He is to bear the cross of death and to wear the crown of thorns. But understand on this day, he is only beginning because he will continue to hear the voice of the Father in the Word of God, that the Father is well pleased with him because of what Jesus has done, that he is a beloved son now. So the Holy Spirit is at work in the life of George Edward, like he's in the life of all of us, working through the gospel. However, notice that today at the baptism, We just renounce the devil. And if you renounce the devil, you've just declared war on the devil. You've marked yourself as an enemy of the devil. That means the devil, of course, is going to want to defeat you. The devil is going to want to tempt you to sin, to fall away, and to go astray, to lose faith. So that's the battle that has now begun. This is the season of Lent when we join this pilgrimage together. And so it's in the gospel text that we begin with the baptism of Jesus, where you hear the words of the Father. You hear of the temptation of Jesus, and then you hear the preaching of Jesus, his words. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now You see, in Mark's gospel, he is very short and to the point. He just gets to it that Jesus was baptized This is the voice. Jesus was tempted 40 days by Satan. He doesn't go into the details of what the temptations were, just a statement of fact. He was tempted 40 days. And thus, we have the 40 days of Lent. And so here we are with this understanding of temptation. The Greek word pyrazo means to tempt, but it also means to try or to test, or even to attempt. So in fact, it's the same Greek word that the rabbis use to translate the Hebrew in Genesis chapter 22 about the testing of Abraham. So we we need to understand this difference between the temptation by Satan to sin and to lose faith and the testing by God to establish his promise in the heart. See, this is the bottom line. Either you listen and learn from the devil, 
and heed and hear what he has to say, or you listen and learn from God and heed and hear what he has to say. So temptation is from the devil. The devil wants to tempt us to sin. The devil wants us to fail. The devil wants us to fall. He wants to take us away from God's word. So we ask the question, did God really say that? The devil tempts us to doubt what God has to say. Because the devil wants to separate us as far away as possible from God and his life-giving word. So Satan tempted Jesus. But God tested Abraham. Now see, God does not want us to fail the test. God gives us the answer to the test, and the answer is always Jesus. When God gives the test of faith, he wants us to succeed. He wants to establish in us his promise so we can be confident that we are living in God's grace all for the sake of Jesus. So on this day, when we celebrate the baptism of George Edward Mee, we realize that George is now going to be under attack, just like all of us as the baptized. We are now all targeted by the devil, and the the serpent is going to try to tempt us to sin. And as the baptized, we are all going to be tested by God. So these temptations and these testing. So that you see in the text of Abraham, where Abraham is tested by God. So that his faith would be made manifest in works. So that the faith of Abraham could be seen when Abraham hears the word, heeds the word, and offers up his son, or attempts to, on the altar. And it is because Abraham has faith that God can raise the dead. And so in the the epistle of James, he actually is dealing with this whole situation with Abraham being tested. That same Greek word, pyrazo, which is also translated as tempted when Satan tempts us to lose faith. And so James is addressing this, teaching us that faith without works is dead. But to be clear here, faith is that which produces works. Faith is the root of salvation, and works are the fruit of salvation. So it's not like works make faith alive. When faith is alive, works are done because the Holy Spirit is at work in us. So it's in this epistle of James where we have this before our eyes teaching us about trials and tests and temptations. And so that's why James opens up his whole epistle in verse 2 and says, Count it all joy when you meet trials. The Greek word for trial comes from that same verbal action, pyrosmos. It's a trial. It's a testing. It's a temptation, but it's all in the context. And so James says, count it all joy when you meet, when you face trials of all kinds. 
And then he goes on to say, and blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And so when we look in the scripture, we see this trial that's happening to us when we are being tried. We ask the question, am I being tempted to sin? Then it is of the devil. If I'm being tested by God to fortify my faith, then it's from him. So James makes it very clear that God does not tempt anyone with evil. God does not tempt us to sin. It's the devil who can tempt us to sin. It's the world that can tempt us to sin. It's even our own sinful flesh that can tempt us to sin. But James wants us to to learn that it's not about everybody else causing us to sin. He teaches us very clearly what the source of sin is. It's from our own wicked desires. So it's not that we would come out and say, the devil made me do it, not my fault. The world made me do it, not my fault. But instead, we are learning that the source of our own sin is our own deceitful desires. So that we're learning to say, I did it. It is my fault. You see, this deceit of the desires that we have, it's, it's dumb, if you will. These desires are these things that we want that are in opposition to what God wants. I mean, when I was a kid, I can remember you have all kinds of dumb desires when you're a kid. I was playing baseball and I was in the announcer's booth and I saw a board with a nail sticking out of it. So I had a dumb desire wondering... If I put my foot on that nail, I wonder how much pressure it's going to take before that nail will pierce through the sole of my shoe. And I tried it. And I'll tell you, it doesn't take much pressure at all. (laughs) That nail goes into your foot real quick. Then I had to explain to everybody why I did it. Dumb desire. So the Lord is teaching us here in this epistle of James about the source of sin. It comes from within. It's our own deceitful desires. So temptation comes when we are lured and enticed by our own desires. So, I mean, it's so simple. It's so easy to understand the picture here, the imagery. To lure is like a fishing lure. Okay, It's got the hook on it. It's shiny, and you see it go before you, and say, ooh, something shiny, and you chase after it. But then when you bite it, then the hook has got you, and you drug away. That's to be lured away by your own dumb desires. Same thing with being enticed. The idea of being enticed has to do with bait. You've been baited. So again, think of fishing. That fishing hook comes before the eyes of the fish and it's got a worm on it underwater. Oh, look, there's a worm swimming in the water. I guess I'll bite. And so you get hooked on it and you are taken away. So this is when temptation comes when we are lured and enticed by our own deceitful desires. And then look at the imagery that James gives to us to understand this situation that we're in. When desire conceives. In other words, when desire becomes pregnant, what happens when desire becomes pregnant? (laughs) Well, you have birth. You have the birth of sin. 
And so you go from conception to birth. And then what happens after birth? When the sin becomes fully grown, mature, it brings forth death. Conception, birth, to full growth brings death. Sin brings death. And so all of this is with these trials that happen to us. But yet James tells us that we should count it all joy when we meet up with trials of various kinds. <laughs> and you're saying, why would I count this as all joy? Because we know from the word of God that when our faith is tested, it produces steadfastness. And steadfastness, the full effect of it is that we are perfected, we're completed, we lack nothing, and the Holy Spirit is working in us, teaching us. But then James comes back and he says, blessed is the man who stands steadfast under trials. Why would he be blessed? Why? Well, he gives the word of promise. Because the one who remains steadfast, so understand steadfast, steadfast again and again, when the test of your faith produces steadfastness, and then when you remain steadfast, you receive the promise of the crown of life that God gives to those who love him. So it's the Holy Spirit who's working with this word in us, testing us, so that we would be fortified in our faith, established in the promise. But God never tempts us to sin, to fall away. And so the Holy Spirit is always working with the word to teach us to set our eyes on Jesus. So this is what we do in Lent. We set our eyes on Jesus, the suffering servant. He's the one who bears our sins in his body on the cross, the tree of death. He's the one who wears our curse in that crown of thorns, all for us. And so when the Holy Spirit sets our eyes on Jesus, we know that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit without sin. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary without sin. But then when Jesus is fully mature, when he is fully grown, he goes unto death because death is brought upon him with our sin. So that we learn that God the Father did not withhold his only son, his beloved son, gave him up for us, that he would die in our stead. That he would be the son who is offered as an offering instead of us. That the son would be the one who is the baby boy of joy, who has the wood of the cross placed upon him for us. That he is the one who is the ram caught in the thicket in his horns. He's the lamb who has the thorns on his head. He is the lamb who takes away all of our sin for us. 
so that it is in Jesus we understand that he counted it all joy to become sin for us. That Jesus was cursed, becoming a curse for us so that we would be blessed in him. So in our life, when we face the trials and you ask the question, where is the lamb? Where is Jesus in the midst of trials and temptations and testing? Where is he? He's praying for you. He's praying with you. The Lord's prayer. He's giving you that double petition that he prays with us. And deliver us from all evil. Lead us not into temptation. So it's all combined together in what he is doing to bring us salvation and to bring us the kingdom. So that he's the one who assures us that he's with us. So he preaches to us, tells us, the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard and keep your hearts in Christ Jesus. Amen.